Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. We're right in the middle of a message series walking through the book of Colossians, which is a letter about a big Jesus for life's big problems. The author of Colossians, Paul, is acting as a concerned father by making the Jesus followers at Colossae aware of counterfeit religious traps that they may drift toward. He challenges the church to continue growing in the midst of an enemy trying to pull them away. Thanks again for listening. Here's our discipleship minister, Todd Lane. It's known as the Red River Rivalry. It's a game that occurs every year between the Texas Longhorns and the Oklahoma Sooners. Until this year, it had only been a rumor, but now it's known as the Cotton Bowl Caper. In 1999, Mike Leach was the offensive coordinator for the Oklahoma Sooners. He said, we have to do anything to get an edge. We have to keep them off balance and get them to squander as many plays as we can. See, the Sooners were a huge underdog that year. And on Wednesday night before the game, Leach had an idea. He decided to come with come up with a counterfeit play script. He created 70 plays that would be the opposite of the actual plays that they would be running. See, if the actual play was going to go left, the counterfeit script was going to say that the play was going to go right. Well, each used one of his players to deploy the decoy right in front of Texas where they would find it. See, the player from Oklahoma was going to run past the Texas sidelines. He was going to run into the tunnel right at the end, and he was going to act like he was putting the counter script script in his belt and accidentally let it fall to the ground. Well, one of the Texas graduate assistant coaches walked through the tunnel and found what he thought was the playbook from Oklahoma. He sees it. He grabs it. Big eyes. Doesn't let anybody see what he has, and he runs straight to the Texas locker room. Well, Carl Reese was the defensive coordinator for Texas. He ended up with this counterfeit script. He was up in the press box and he began furiously trying to match up plays that would stop the Oklahoma Sooners. Reese says, as the game began, he was trying to call plays. He was trying to watch the game and he had his eyes on the counterfeit script. He said it was a huge distraction. The second play of the game Oklahoma scored a touchdown. See, the the script said that everything was going to go to the left, but everything actually went to the right. The Oklahoma Sooners scored that touchdown, and there wasn't a Texas defensive person in sight. Reese said as the game went on, it was a catastrophe. Before Reese knew it, it was 17 to nothing, and the Sooners were ahead, and Coach Reese had had enough. He took the script, he wadded it up, and just threw it into the trash can, and we're going to press play right there. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on. We're going through this book of Colossians. Paul's told us that we have a big Jesus who's God. He is the creator. He's the head of the church. And last week we learned that there are spiritual forces trying to pull us away from Jesus. See, this enemy, he knows us. And he knows he can take things out there and pull us away from things in here. The things we talked about last week, we said there are lusts. There are likes. See, the enemy wants to use sexuality and distort it from God's design. He wants to use people to pressure you to try to pull you away from honoring God with your life. We also learned that you and I have this tendency to wander away from God. So when you take someone's trying to pull you away from God and you've got this tendency to wander away from God, it's a dangerous combination. But let me ask you, what about in here? Could the enemy take spiritual things and use them to pull us away from God? And Paul today is going to tell us a resounding yes. 
See, that dangerous combination of the enemy trying to pull you away and your tendency to wonder, it existed in this church at Colossae. See, these group, this group of believers, they were doing good. They were trying to grow. They were trying to mature. But Paul knew he needed to wonder, or warn them about the danger that existed. Look up here what he writes. We're in Colossians chapter 2. We're kind of looking at verse 16 to 23 today. And right in verse 16, he kind of says, Do not let anyone judge you by what you drink, what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. If you skip a verse and go down to 18, he's kind of got another warning. He says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. So he's saying, don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody disqualify you. He's saying, don't let anyone do anything that's going to stifle your growth or your connection with Jesus. Now, you'll notice that Paul, in these verses, if you take the time to read them, he doesn't tell us who is doing this. And I don't think he's blaming it just on Satan. I don't think he's blaming it on these unseen spiritual forces. This was a real threat by real people, and they were telling people that Jesus was less than. See, he was telling them that he's less than God. He's not the creator. He's actually a created being. He's a pretty good guy, but he's not the head of the church, and he's not the authority above all authorities. See, what these counterfeiters were saying, since he's less than, there's some other things you got to do to be a Christian. Now, I think, again, one of the reasons he doesn't mention the who in this is because it really wasn't important. He just wanted to make sure these Colossian believers that they were able to recognize these counterfeits and they could tell the threats that were being presented to the church. Now, one of the things they needed to realize, but it's also something you and I need to realize, is how prone we are to wonder. See, we are drawn to counterfeits. Now, what you'll see is the counterfeit pulls us away from a relationship with Jesus and it gets us focused on religious things and trying to do religious things. If you go back to verse 16, look what Paul says. He says, don't, judge, don't let anyone judge you when it comes to eating, drinking, or religious festivals. See, that had a slice of Judaism. The religious leaders of the Jews, they had laws for everything. And one of the things that he's telling you and I to be careful of He's saying, be careful when you make your rules more important than God's rules. See, when we get away from a relationship with Jesus, one of the things we find is religious people like rules. Now, here's what I tell you. Some rules that we kind of come up for ourselves, they start with a great heart. We all have temptations. There's things we got to keep our eye on. And one of the things a lot of us do is we create some guardrails in our life so that we fall to that temptation. I say maybe something you struggle with is alcohol. And maybe you decide for yourself that maybe a good guardrail in your world is to not go to a party or a social event where there's going to be drinking. You know that's going to cause you trouble. So that's probably a pretty good guardrail for you. I say maybe one of your struggles is pornography. You really struggle with computers and your phone and what you look at. So maybe you just decide that maybe at your home, you're not going to have the internet. Okay? Maybe that's a good rule for you. You had a struggle. You figure out a guardrail for you. But here's where we cross the line is when we expect others to adopt our rule. We get, begin imposing our rules on other people. See, because I don't go to social events with alcohol, nobody should go to a social event with alcohol. Because I don't have internet at my home, nobody should have internet at their home. 
See, rule-loving people, it'd be great if they just kind of stopped there, but there's one more thing they do. They judge people who don't abide by their rules. There's a big word for this. Look up here. It's called legalism. Legalism starts with a real need, but then we get out of bounds when you start imposing your rules on everyone else. And guys, there's something we got to learn from today. God gets to make the rules for everyone. I get to make the rules for me. I'll give you some modern day illustrations that maybe some of you in here have some strong opinions about and maybe you've made some rules for yourself. What about education? Homeschool? Go to a Christian school? Public education? What about politics right now? I mean, is there more of a divide in our country, just even Republican, Democrat? How about worship styles? That's something sometimes the church struggles with. Hymns, contemporary worship. How about this? Do you celebrate Christmas? How about Easter? Probably all of you do. How about Halloween? It's coming up. I bet there's some people in here that don't. See, most of us in here could probably agree that drinking too much is wrong. But what about social drinking? Should we drink at all? See, I think we've got to get into a place where we have to watch saying, hey, if you're a Christian, you really will. It's kind of a dangerous statement. See, you can have your own preferences, but you have to watch making preferences prejudices. See, don't think that the way you operate in matters of conscience is the way that everyone needs to do it. You can have an opinion, but don't oppose your opinions on others. So we have to be careful of this counterfeit that he's telling us about, the counterfeit of rulemaking. Now, there's one other counterfeit I want to tell you about, and it's uh, this one right here. Look up here. Religious people love to look spiritual. In verse 18, he says this. He says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, disqualify you. Some Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Look at the terms. False humility. They go in this great detail about their experiences. He says they're puffed up. If you'd read on down, verse 23, he gives us some more characteristics. He says they have self-imposed worship. He says they actually do harm to their body. See, some of the people had quit worrying what they looked like, and they'd kind of take on a monastic nature. They developed practices that remove them from the world altogether. Guys, you need to understand that this counterfeit it was a belief that understanding God was this mystery reserved only for a few. If you didn't worship a certain way, if you didn't have certain spiritual experiences, then you really weren't a Christian. They took real pride in hyper-spirituality, trying to look better than anyone else. How many of you love Krispy Kreme donuts? Yeah, lots of you out there. Look up here at this one. You wish this one was this big up here. My wife, Rebecca, that's her favorite donut at Krispy Kreme, a glaze filled with whipped cream inside it. But if you really want to get her riled up, you give her a cream-filled donut with no cream inside, okay? It is not a pretty picture. Guys, that's kind of what Paul's saying about this counterfeit. He's saying there's a real gap between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. See, on Sunday, maybe you teach a class of kids, you're teaching them about Jesus, but last Wednesday, you lied at work to your boss. Maybe you're on a worship team, and man, you're real visible up here singing to everybody, but when you go home, you bury yourself with work, and you kind of hide at home because putting the kids to bed at night is kind of chaotic, and you know it might cause a fight with your spouse. When you're around a group of people, you talk in what I'm going to call Christianese. 
You call everybody brother, and when you agree, you say amen, but as soon as they turn their back, you criticize them. You talk bad about them behind their back. Guys, Jesus had so much to say about when the outside doesn't match up with the inside. One time he was talking with a group, of, a crowd, and he specifically was talking about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And look up here what he says, his first statement. If you're one of those laws and Pharisee guys, and you heard what he said, first statement, you love you must be careful to do everything they tell you. You probably went, but look what he goes on to say. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Everything they do is for people to see. He tells them, he goes on, he says, you're like a whitewashed tomb. He says, you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside is just dead men's bones. Guess I want to remind you, he didn't tell us who's doing these things. And I think there's a reason because the who is in the mirror. It's you and I. We have strong opinions. We like rules. We impose them on others. We like to make ourselves look good by spiritual practices. But if you looked at our inside, maybe there wouldn't be a lot there. Paul kind of describes this inside if you've kind of gotten caught up in rules or gotten caught up the focuses, what, it, what you look like on the outside. He says this, he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, it's found in Christ. He says these counterfeits are a shadow. See, a shadow is kind of a form. It has the form or shape, but it doesn't have any substance. I remember when our girls were in elementary school, probably many of you who are parents, you remember that day when they came home with a silhouette. Remember it kind of looked like something like that? They'd done it at school, and man, they were so proud. They came home, and we were proud. We put it up on the refrigerator, and... Now, you know my girls are 25 down to 20, and I have no idea where their silhouettes are today, okay? They're probably in the attic. They're probably in a box. We'll probably find them one day if we ever move or something like that. But do you know what makes the walls today? Do you know what makes the mantle today? It's, I want to see their substance. I put a few of their pictures up here. I want to see the joy in their smiles. I want to see the growth throughout the years. I want to see the substance that makes them my girls. Has Paul got your attention yet? Has he made you aware of the things that are out there and the things that are in here that can pull you away from Jesus? I mean, think about these last two weeks. Lusts, likes, rules, trying to look good on the outside. I guarantee you there's one of those you struggle with. One of those kind of catches your eye. It's kind of shiny and it, it draws you toward it. And Paul is trying to tell you these are counterfeits. They are traps that are going to pull you away from Jesus. Verse 21, he, he actually reminds them of some of the rules about food and drink. And look what he says up there. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That was one of the rules. See, I think he's trying to get them to see these counterfeits, what they really are. They're a distraction from Jesus becoming big in your life. I think he's hoping they're going to come to the conclusion on their own that they're not going to handle. They're not going to taste. They're not going to touch these counterfeits. One of the reasons these counterfeits can become so appealing is because I think if you really got down to it, a lot of us would like a relationship with Jesus, kind of like a paint by numbers. My oldest daughter, I've told you, is November 19th, grandchild on the way. Well, last week she had a baby shower, okay? I had the privilege of going and getting everything after the baby shower and taking it to their house, okay? We got there and she got a swing for Marley, and she was, uh, Mackenzie, the mom, was putting it together. Now, her husband and I were sitting there watching football, and occasionally we'd go, 
hey, do you need any help? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a token, do you really want any help? But she said this to her. She said, no, it's pretty easy. The directions are all pictures. I think that's the way a lot of us would like a relationship with Jesus to be. We don't really have to put much thought into it. Guys, that's kind of what religion is, but relationship is so different. It takes time. It takes knowing somebody, spending time with somebody, talking with somebody. Jesus does not want to just hand you a set of directions. He wrote another letter, Paul did, to the people of Galatia. And look what he writes up here in chapter five to them. He says this, he says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. He wants you to live a life, not just gives you this set of directions. He wants you to have freedom, and these counterfeits are about fear. Let me take you back to where we began. Remember the Red River rivalry? Remember Texas was down 17 to nothing? The defensive coordinator, he'd wadded that counterfeit script up. He'd thrown it into the trash can. He got refocused on his original game plan. Texas actually won that game 38 to 28. Some of you know the name Randy. Doc sometimes mentioned that. That's his preaching partner. Well, Randy was my basketball coach in college. Uh, my senior year, we made it to the national tournament. And during that national tournament, we played a team out of Texas called Bay Ridge, uh, Texas. And it was one of those games that was just back and forth. I mean, every time they had the ball, they scored. Every time we had the ball, we scored. Just there never was somebody getting up 10 or anything like that. And it was, it was exciting. It was emotional. And with about a minute left in the game, Randy calls a timeout. Okay? It's kind of crazy and exciting. We're sitting there. We're kind of looking at him. He pauses and he goes, isn't this fun? We were like, you've lost your mind, okay? You're crazy. He knew we were scared. He was trying to make us not play tense anymore. He was trying to remove as many distractions. And guys, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. In the midst of all these threats, in the midst of all these counterfeits going on, Paul's going to give us a couple of clues as to how not to drift. He wants to get us refocused on the original game plan. And I don't want you to miss a couple of things in here amongst, amongst all these counterfeiters. Look at verse 19. Paul says the reason that these counterfeits are so appealing to a Jesus follower is because they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. He holds the whole body together. Now we've learned one of the things about Jesus. He is the head of the church and we're the body. And a lot of times we think of the body, the church. But I think here Paul's kind of telling us, no, get focused on the physical body. See, a part of the physical body cannot be healthy apart from being attached to the real body. And for a part of the body to actually know what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to function, it has to be attached to the head. That's the only way it's going to know what to do. See, last week and this week, Paul has acted like a father to us. He's very concerned about the things out there that could trip you up and stunt your growth. He's challenging you to grow in the midst of all these counterfeits that are trying to pull you away. Guys, when Paul says this phrase that he's trying to get you to grow in the midst of these enemies, that echoes for me something that David said to us in Psalm 23. You know Psalm 23. David gives us this picture of a shepherd who's guiding and tending to the sheep, taking real good care of them. And right in the middle of Psalm 23, he says this. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Guys, it says that God prepares a table 
in the presence of your enemies. See, I usually want it done differently than that. I'd love for him to kind of clear out all my enemies and then let's have a table, okay? Then let's celebrate and have, have a feast. But he says, no, I'm, I'm gonna give you a table and it's gonna be right in the middle of all the pressure that's going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a table for you and I'm gonna set it for you in the midst of, right in the midst of all your challenges. You'll notice this is a table for two. And Jesus kind of invites you to sit down with him and there's some food here. He says, hey, you want some water? Hey, got some water here? One of the things about this mental picture, back in David's time, back in the Middle East, a table with a meal was a powerful invitation. And what you need to understand is you have been invited to a table with Jesus who's God. You've been invited to a table with the creator of the universe. You've been invited to a table with the head of the church, the authority of all authorities, and he wants you to sit right here beside him. What's really remarkable about this table is not what's on it. There's some good food and that kind of thing, but what's remarkable is who's at the table. It's Jesus. And what's remarkable is he wants you here with him. Jesus kind of made a similar powerful invitation to his disciples. See, you know the story on the night that he was arrested, he actually brought them to a table. And it's called the Lord's Supper. And one of the things about that was he wanted to connect with them. He wanted them to understand this strong connection that would be needed for their growth and also for the mission to be carried on. One of the things many of you probably know, one of the things he said to them that night, sometimes people will say, remain in me. Sometimes it's the word abide in me. But I love how the message puts, it's gonna be up here on the screen. Look at it, what it says with me. It says, Live in me. Make your home in me. You know what? In every home, you know what there is? There's probably a table. And so he says, make your home in me just as I do in you in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. Guys, these disciples were gonna need to be connected to Jesus. They were gonna need to be connected on the night that he got arrested. They were gonna be need to be connected when he was hanging on a cross. They were no, going to need to be connected when he was in a tomb and they were back in this upper room scared to death. They were gonna need to be connected when he looked at him and says, go and make disciples everywhere. They were gonna need to be connected when their faith was gonna be tested through persecution. Guys, that's why Jesus said, be connected to me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You have to be connected. That's what Paul says. He's the head. You're the body. You've got to be connected. That's why David writes, he's prepared a table for you. You got to get a seat right here. You got to be connected. That's the strong message you are going to hear if you choose to be at the table with Jesus in the midst of some of the challenges you're going to go through. See, at the table, you're connected to Jesus. One question I have to ask you. Are you sitting at the table you've been invited to? See, Paul's made it real clear. There's lots of tables out there. See, some of you students up here. You're sitting at a table right now with maybe sometimes where they ask you to compromise. Here's what I can tell you about this table. You will not be asked to compromise at this table. Some of you are at work and you're sitting at a table with somebody you know you shouldn't be sitting at a table with. And you do that because you're kind of flirty. You're going to get a little charge out of that table, a little connection that you don't get at home with your spouse. And guys, here's what I tell you. That connection at that table can never offer you what's offered at this table. Some of you like your rules and your ways and 
your opinions, and you're pretty strong about those, guys, I can tell you, that table that you're at will never offer you the freedom that's at this table. I don't know if you heard the first song we sang it today. It was called You Say. It was by Lauren Daigle. And the very first phrase said this. It says, remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Guys, sometimes you need to sit at this table and you need somebody to tell you that you're loved because you don't feel very loved. Sometimes you need somebody to tell you that you're strong and they'll be strong for you because you feel pretty weak. Sometimes you need to say, we've learned he holds all things together. And some of you right now, things are falling apart, kind of like me trying to get the headset on at the beginning, okay? Sometimes you don't feel like you belong very much. And you need somebody to look at you and say, you're loved. You're mine. Guys, remember, remember who's at the table. It's Jesus. See, he's God. He can say these things and he can back them up. Now, not only do we need to make sure that we are at this table, but one thing other I'd tell you about this phrase about he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies, you need to make sure that you don't give the enemy a seat at this table. See, last week we learned that there's a biggie enemy, Satan, and one of the things it says about him, it says that our enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a lion seeking whom he may devour, okay? Okay? says he's prowling around and one thing you cannot stop is you cannot stop him from prowling around he prowled around in the garden of eden he prowled around on the night that jesus was arrested he prowled around in this little church at corinth or colossi and he prowls around today probably in your life and mine and paul has told us there's threats there's enemy and he says if you're not careful he's gonna pull up a chair and go hey how you doing hey ooh, wow Nice. How you doing? Hey, you know all those things you sang about in the song? Not true. Not true. Hey, what are you doing here at Capital City? You're a mess. You know all these people out here? They've been staring at you the entire time you've been in here. You don't belong here. What the heck are you? You probably shouldn't ever come back here again. Guys, if you give him a chance, he's going to get in between you and your wife. Students, he's going to get in between you and your parents. He's going to get in between you and your boss. He's going to get in between you and your friend. He's going to get in between you and yourself. He's going to get in between you and God. Because in a heartbeat, that's what happens. So be connected at this table. Don't give the enemy a seat. There's one other thing that happens at this table, and Paul kind of highlights it. In verse 20, he says this. You died with Christ to the spiritual forces of this world. He's reminding that we have an identification with Jesus. You've died with Christ. Last week, Paul, or Doc mentioned verse 11. He says, you've been buried with him in baptism. You've been raised with him. See, our identification with Jesus is in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what gives you your identity. I think Paul highlights this, we have died because death is something that severs a bond with the enemy. You did not originally have this connection with Jesus. You had a connection, kind of like a slave does to a master, to sin. But see, Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection broke that attachment to this former bondage. Paul's saying the finality of your death with Christ confirms your burial with Christ and now you have a new life. It's final. 
See, at this table, not only are you connected with him, but you're going to be reminded of who you are. He's going to remind you that you've died with me. You've been buried with me. You have new life in me. See, because of this connection at this table, he wants you to have confidence. Because of this identification, he wants you to have confidence in who you are and your identity. But that's why Paul, in this this passage, is going to ask you some tough questions. Why in the world would you let somebody judge you? You died with Christ to those things. Why in the world would you think that somebody else could disqualify with you with your relationship? You have a bond now through the burial of Christ. Guys, I think Jesus at this table is going, wants to remind you often that you have died with him. And I think he hopes there would be this conversational response that you might go, I know. When he says, hey, you've been buried with me, I think he hopes you'd say, I know. When he says, you have a new life with me, I think he hopes you'd respond, that's exactly how I'm gonna try to live. Some of you know the great hymn called Blessed Assurance. Kind of starts out, it says, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Goes on to this great chorus, it says, this is my story, this is my song. Sit there and thought about this is my story. I said, that's probably a great response when he says, hey, you died with me. You've been buried with me. You have new life in me. In fact, it's up here on the screen, I think. Uh, Let's see here. Would you just say that out loud with me? Let's say it together. This is my story. One more time. This is my story. Let me say a few phrases, and then why don't you just respond with this is my story. You've died with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. You have new life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for caring enough about us to die on a cross. You didn't know how we would respond. You knew our sin condition. And you loved us enough to die for us and be brought back to life. And God, also, thanks for making it real practical of you want to sit at a table with us. You want to Be our reminder, our prompter, our encourager, our brother, our father. And so, God, I know there's probably some people in here that maybe aren't a Jesus follower, and would you just remind them that this could be their story also? So today, we would just say thank you that it it is our story. Help us to have confidence in who we are. Help us to have confidence in this connection. And may we leave this weekend... May it not just be here at church, but may we find ourselves around the table with you this week so you can breathe some life into us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.